Section 3 of Lives of Girls Who Became Famous. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lives of Girls Who Became Famous by Sarah K. Bolton. Section 3. Lucretia Mott. Years ago, I attended, at some inconvenience, a large public meeting because I heard that Lucretia Mott was to speak. After several addresses, a slight lady with white cap and drab Quaker dress came forward. Though well in years, her eyes were bright, her smile was winsome, and I thought her face one of the loveliest I had ever looked upon. The voice was singularly sweet and clear, and the manner had such naturalness and grace as a queen might envy. I have forgotten the words, forgotten even the subject, but the benign presence and gracious smile I shall never forget. Born among the quiet scenes of Nantucket, January 3, 1793, Lucretia grew to girlhood with habits of economy, neatness, and hopefulness in the home. Her father, Thomas Coffin, was a sea captain of staunch principle, her mother a woman of great energy, wit, and good sense. The children's pleasures were such as a plain country home afforded. When Mrs. Coffin went to visit her neighbors, she would say to her daughters, Now after you have finished knitting twenty bouts, you may go down the cellar and pick out as many as you want of the smallest potatoes, the very smallest, and roast them in the ashes. Then the six little folks gathered about the fireplace and enjoyed a frolic. When Lucretia was twelve years old, the family moved to Boston. At first all the children attended a private school, but Captain Coffin, fearing this would make them proud, removed them to a public school where they could mingle with classes without distinction. Years after, Lucretia said, I am glad, because it gave me a feeling of sympathy for the patient and struggling poor, which, but for this experience, I might never have known. A year later, she was sent to a friend's boarding school at Nine Partners, New York. Both boys and girls attended the school, but were not permitted to speak to each other unless they were near relatives. If so, they could talk a little on certain days over a certain corner of the fence between the playgrounds. Such grave precautions did not entirely prevent the acquaintance of the young people, for when a lad was shut up in a closet on bread and water, Lucretia and her sister supplied him with bread and butter under the door. This boy was a cousin of the teacher, James Mott, who was fond of the quick-witted schoolgirl, so that it is probable that no harm came to her from breaking the rules. At fifteen, Lucretia was appointed an assistant teacher, and she and Mr. Mott, with a desire to know more of literature, and quite possibly more of each other, began to study French together. He was tall, with light hair and blue eyes, and shy in manner. She, petite, with dark hair and eyes, quick in thought and action, and fond of mirth. When she was eighteen and James twenty-one, the young teachers were married, and both went to her father's home in Philadelphia to reside, he assisting in Mr. Coffin's business. The War of 1812 brought financial failure to many, and young Mott soon found himself with a wife and infant daughter to support, and no work. Hoping that he could obtain a situation with an uncle in New York State, he took his family thither, but came back disappointed. Finally, he found work in a plow store at a salary of $600 a year. Captain Kaufman, meantime, had died, leaving his family poor. James could do so little for them all with his limited salary that he determined to open a small store, but the experiment proved a failure. His health began to be affected by this ill success, when Lucretia, with her brave heart, said, My cousin and I will open a school. 
"'Thee must not get discouraged, James.' The school was open with four pupils, each paying seven dollars a quarter. The young wife put so much good cheer and earnestness into her work that soon there were forty pupils in the school. Mr. Mott's prospects now brightened, for he was earning one thousand dollars a year. The young couple were happy in their hard work, for they loved each other, and love lightens all care and labor. But soon a sorrow worse than poverty came. Their only son, Thomas, a most affectionate child, died, saying with his last breath, I love thee, mother. It was a crushing blow, but it proved a blessing in the end, leading her thoughts heavenward. A few months afterward, her voice was heard for the first time in public, in prayer, in one of the friends' meetings. The words were simple, earnest, eloquent. The good Quakers marveled and encouraged the gift. They did not ask whether man or woman brought the message, so it came from heaven. And now, at twenty-five, Having resigned her position as teacher, she began close study of the Bible and theological books. She had four children to care for, did all her sewing, even cutting and making her own dresses, but she learned what everyone can learn, to economize time. Her house was kept scrupulously clean. She says, I omitted much unnecessary stitching and ornamental work in the sewing for my family, so that I might have more time for the improvement of my mind. For novels and light reading I never had much taste. The ladies' department in the periodicals of the day had no attraction for me. She would lay a copy of William Penn's ponderous volumes open at the foot of her bed, and drawing her chair close to it, with her baby on her lap, would study the book diligently. A woman of less energy and less willpower than young Mrs. Mott would have given up all hope of being a scholar. She read the best books in philosophy and science. John Stuart Mill and Dean Stanley, though widely different, were among her favorite authors. James Mott was now prospering in the cotton business, so that they could spare time to go in their carriage and speak at the Quaker meetings in the surrounding country. Lucretia would be so absorbed in thought as not to notice the beauties of the landscape, which her husband always greatly enjoyed. Pointing out a fine view to her, she replied, "'Yes, it is beautiful, now that thou points it out, but I should not have noticed it. I have always taken more interest in human nature.' From a child she was deeply interested for the slave. She had read in her school books Clarkson's description of the slave ships, and these left an impression never to be effaced. When, December 4, 1833, a convention met in Philadelphia for the purpose of forming the American Anti-Slavery Society, Lucretia Mott was one of the four women who braved the social obloquy as friends of the despised abolitionists. She spoke and was listened to with attention. Immediately, the Philadelphia Female Anti-Slavery Society was formed, and Mrs. Mott became its president and its inspiration. So unheard of a thing was an association of women, and so unaccustomed were they to the methods of organization, that they were obliged to call a colored man to the chair to assist them. The years of martyrdom which followed, we at this day can scarcely realize. Anti-slavery lecturers were tarred and feathered. Mobs in New York and Philadelphia swarmed the streets, burning houses and breaking church windows. In the latter city they surrounded the hall of the abolitionists, where the women were holding a large convention, and Mrs. Mott was addressing them. All day long they cursed and threw stones, and as soon as the women left the building they burned it to ashes. Then, wrought up to fury, the mob started for the house of James and Lucretia Mott. Knowing that they were coming, the calm woman sent her little children away, and then, in the parlor, with a few friends, peacefully awaited a probable death. In the turbulent throng was a young man who, 
while he was no friend of the colored man, could not see Lucretia Mott harmed. With skillful ruse, as they neared the house, he rushed up another street, shouting at the top of his voice, On to the Motts! And the wild crowd blindly followed, wreaking their vengeance in another quarter. A year later, in Delaware, where Mrs. Mott was speaking, one of her party, a defenseless old man, was dragged from the house and tarred and feathered. She followed, begging the men to desist, and saying that she was the real offender, but no violent hands were laid upon her. At another time, when the annual meeting of the Anti-Slavery Society in New York was broken up by the mob, some of the speakers were roughly handled. Perceiving that several ladies were timid, Mrs. Mott said to the gentleman who was accompanying her, "'Won't thee look after some of the others?' "'But who will take care of you?' he said. With great tact and a sweet smile, she answered, "'This man, laying her hand on the arm of one of the roughest of the mob, he will see me safely through.' The astonished man had, like others, a tender heart beneath the roughness, and with respectful manner took her to a place of safety. The next day, going into a restaurant, she saw the leader of the mob, and immediately sat down by him and began to converse. Her kindness and her sweet voice left a deep impression. As he went out of the room, he asked at the door, "'Who is that lady?' "'Why, that is Lucretia Mott.' For a second he was dumbfounded, but he added, "'Well, she's a good, sensible woman.' In 1839, a World's Convention was called at London to debate the slavery question. Among the delegates chosen were James and Lucretia Mott, Wendell Phillips and his wife, and others. Mrs. Mott was jubilant at the thought of the world's interest in this great question, and glad for an opportunity to cross the ocean and enjoy a little rest, and the pleasure of meeting friends who had worked in the same cause. When the party arrived, they were told to their astonishment that no women were to be admitted to the convention as delegates. They had faced mobs and ostracism, they had given money and earnest labor, but they were to be ignored. William Lloyd Garrison, hurt at such injustice, refused to take part in the convention and sat in the gallery with the women. Although Mrs. Mott did not speak in the assembly, the Dublin Herald said, Nobody doubts that she was the lioness of the convention. She was entertained at public breakfasts, and at these spoke with the greatest acceptance to both men and women. The Duchess of Sutherland and Lady Byron showed her great attention. Carlyle was much pleased with the Quaker lady whose quiet manner had a soothing effect on him, wrote Mrs. Carlyle to a friend. At Glasgow she held a delighted audience for nearly two hours in breathless attention, said the press. After some months of devoted Christian work, along with sightseeing, Mr. and Mrs. Mott started homeward. He had spoken less frequently than his wife, but always had been listened to with deep interest. Her heart was moved toward a large number of Irish emigrants in the steerage, and she desired to hold a religious meeting among them. When asked about it, they said they would not hear a woman preacher, for women priests were not allowed in their church. Then she asked that they would come together and consider whether they would have a meeting. This seemed fair, and they came. She expressed to them that she did not intend to hold a church service, that, as they were leaving their old homes and seeking new ones in her country, she wanted to talk with them in such a way as would help them in the land of strangers. And then, if they would listen, they were all the time listening very eagerly, she would give an outline of what she had intended to say if the meeting had been held. At the close, when all had departed, it dawned upon some of the quicker-witted ones that they had got the preachment from the women preacher after all. The steamer arrived at the close of a twenty-nine days' voyage, and after a brief rest, 
mrs mott began again her public work she spoke before the legislatures of new jersey delaware and pennsylvania she called on president tyler and he talked with her cordially and freely about the slave in kentucky says one of the leading papers for an hour and a half she enchained an ordinarily restless audience many were standing to a degree never surpassed here by the most popular orators she said some things that were far from palatable but said them with an air of sincerity that commanded respect and attention mrs mott was deeply interested in other questions besides slavery suffrage for women total abstinence and national differences settled by arbitration instead of war years before when she began to teach school and found that while girls paid the same tuition as boys when they became teachers women received only half as much as men for their services she says the injustice of this distinction was so apparent that i early resolved to claim for myself all that an impartial creator had bestowed in eighteen forty eight mrs mott with elizabeth cady stanton and some others called the first women's suffrage convention in this country at seneca falls new york there was much ridicule we had not learned forty years ago to treat with courtesy those whose opinions are different from our own but the sweet quaker preacher went serenely forward as though all the world were on her side when she conversed with those who differed she listened so courteously to objections and stated her own views so delicately and kindly and often so wittily that none could help liking her even though they did not agree with her she realized that few can be driven while many can be won with gentleness and tact in all these years of public speaking her home was not only a refuge for the oppressed but a delightful social centre where prominent people gathered from both europe and america at the table black and white were treated with equal courtesy one young man a frequent visitor finding himself seated at dinner next to a colored man resolved to keep away from the house in future but as he was in love with one of mrs mott's pretty daughters he found that his principles gave way to his affections he renewed his visits became a son-in-law and later an ardent advocate of equality for the colored people now the guests at the hospitable home were a mother and seven children from england who meeting with disappointment had become reduced to poverty now it was an escaped slave who had come from richmond virginia in a dry-goods box by adams express this poor man whose wife and three children had been sold from him determined to seek his freedom even if he died in the effort weighing nearly two hundred pounds he was encased in a box two feet long twenty-three inches wide and three feet high in a sitting posture he was provided with a few crackers and a bladder filled with water with a small gimlet he bored holes in the box to let in fresh air and fanned himself with his hat to keep the air in motion the box was covered with canvas that no one might suspect its contents his sufferings were almost unbearable as the box was tossed from one place to another he was badly bruised and sometimes he rested for miles on his head and shoulders when it seemed as though his veins would burst finally he reached the mott home and found shelter and comfort their large house was always full mr mott had given up a prosperous cotton business because the cotton was the product of slave labor but he had been equally successful in the wool trade so that the days of privation had passed by long ago two of their six children with their families lived at home and the harmony was remarked by everybody mrs mott rose early and did much housework herself she wrote to a friend i prepared mince for forty pies doing every part myself even to meat chopping picked over lots of apples stewed a quantity chopped some more and made apple pudding all of which kept me on my feet till almost two o'clock 
having to come into the parlor every now and then to receive guests. As a rule, those women are the best housekeepers whose lives are varied by some outside interests. In the broad hall of the house stood two armchairs, which the children called beggars' chairs, because they were in constant use for all sorts of people waiting to see the missus. She never refused to see anybody. When letters came from all over the country asking for all sorts of favors, bedding, silver spoons, a silk umbrella, or begging her to invest some money in the manufacture of an article warranted to take the kink out of the hair of the negro, she would always check the merriment of her family by saying, don't laugh too much, the poor souls meant well. Mrs. Mott was now sixty-three years of age. For forty years she had been seen and loved by thousands. Strangers would stop her on the street and say, God bless you, Lucretia Mott. Once, when a slave was being tried for running away, Mrs. Mott sat near him in the court, her son-in-law, Mr. Edward Hopper, defending his case. The opposing counsel asked that her chair might be moved, as her face would influence the jury against him. Benjamin H. Brewster, afterwards United States Attorney General, also counsel for the Southern Master, said, I have heard a great deal of your mother-in-law, Hopper, but I never saw her before today. She is an angel. Years after, when Mr. Brewster was asked how he dared to change his political opinions, he replied, Do you think there is anything I dare not do after facing Lucretia Mott in that courtroom? It seemed best at this time, in 1856, as Mrs. Mott was much worn with care, to sell the large house in town and move eight miles into the country, to a quaint roomy house which they called Roadside. Before they went, however, at the last family gathering a long poem was read, ending with, Who constantly will ring the bell and ask if they will please to tell where Mrs. Mott has gone to dwell? The beggars. And who persistently will say, We cannot, cannot go away, here in the entry let us stay, colored beggars. Who never, never, never more will see the lions at the door that they've so often seen before? The neighbors. And who will miss, for months at least, that place of rest for man and beast, from north and south and west and east? Everybody. Much of the shrubbery was cut down at roadside, that Mrs. Mott might have the full sunlight. So cheery your nature must have sunshine. Here life went on quietly and happy. Many papers and books were on her table, and she read carefully and widely. She loved especially Milton and Cowper. Arnold's Light of Asia was a great favorite in later years. The papers were sent to hospitals and infirmaries, that no good reading might be lost. She liked to read aloud, and if others were busy, she would copy extracts to read to them when they were at leisure. Who can measure the power of an educated, intellectual mother in a home? The golden wedding of Mr. and Mrs. Mott was celebrated in 1861, and a joyous season it was. James, the prosperous merchant, was proud of his gifted wife and aided her in every way possible, while Lucretia loved and honored the true-hearted husband. Though Mrs. Mott was now seventy, she did not cease her benevolent work. Her carriage was always full of fruits, vegetables, and gifts for the poor. In buying goods, she traded usually with the small stores, where things were dearer, but she knew that for many of the proprietors it was a struggle to make ends meet. A woman so considerate of others would of course be loved. Once, when riding on the streetcars in Philadelphia, when no black person was allowed to ride inside, every fifth car being reserved for their use, she saw a frail-looking and scantily-dressed colored woman standing on the platform in the rain. The day was bitter cold, and Mrs. Mott begged the conductor to allow her to come inside. 
the company's orders must be obeyed was the reply whereupon the slight quaker lady of seventy walked out and stood beside the colored woman it would never do to have the famous mrs mott seen in the rain on his car so the conductor in his turn went out and begged her to come in i cannot go in without this woman said mrs mott quietly nonplussed for a moment he looked at the kindly face and said oh well bring her in then soon the company's orders were changed in the interests of humanity and colored people as well as white enjoy their civil rights as becomes a great nation with all this beauty of character lucretia mott had her trials somewhat early in life she and her husband had joined the so-called unitarian branch of quakers and for this they were persecuted so deep was the sectarian feeling that once when suffering from acute neuralgia a physician who knew her well when called to attend her said lucretia i am so deeply afflicted by thy rebellious spirit that i do not feel i can prescribe for thee and he left her to her sufferings such lack of toleration reads very strangely at this day in eighteen sixty eight mr mott and his wife the one eighty and the other seventy five went to brooklyn new york to visit their grandchildren he was taken ill of pneumonia and expressed a wish to go home but added i suppose i shall die here and then i shall be at home it is just as well mrs mott watched with him through the night and at last becoming weary laid her head upon his pillow and went to sleep in the morning the daughter coming in found the one resting from weariness the other resting forever at the request of several colored men who respected their benefactor mr mott was borne to his grave by their hands thus ended for this world what one who knew them well called the most perfect wedded life to be found on earth mrs mott said james and i loved each other more than ever since we worked together for a great cause she carried out the old couplet and be this thy pride what but few have done to hold fast the love which thou hast early won after his death she wrote to a friend i do not mourn but rather remember my blessings and the blessing of his long life with me for twelve years more she lived and did her various duties she had seen the slave freed and was thankful the other reforms for which she labored were progressing at eighty-five she still spoke in the great meetings each christmas she carried turkeys pies and a gift for each man and woman at the aged colored home in philadelphia driving twenty miles there and back each year she sent a box of candy to each conductor and brakeman on the north pennsylvania railroad because she said they never let me lift out my bundles but catch them up so quickly and they all seem to know me finally the time came for her to go to meet james as the end drew near she seemed to think that she was conducting her own funeral and said as though addressing an audience if you resolve to follow the lamb wherever you may be led you will find all the ways pleasant and the paths peace let me go do take me there was a large and almost silent funeral at the house and at the cemetery several thousand persons were gathered when friends were standing by the open grave a low voice said will no one say anything and another responded who can speak the preacher is dead memorial services were held in various cities for such a woman as lucretia mott with cultured mind noble heart and holy purpose there are no sex limitations her field is the world those who desire to know more of this gifted woman will find it in a most interesting volume lives of james and lucretia mott written by their granddaughter anna davis hallowell west medford massachusetts 
End of section three. Recording by Lonell Yoder.